With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our Cracked Rackets 2023 WTA Halfway Mark Award show with our dear friend, Tennis.com editorial producer, David Kane. We will break down everything that's happened through the first six months of the 2023 WTA season. Of course, the best mechanism for us to break all of that action down, in my opinion, is by offering out some awards. And our award categories are to be expected from you listeners. Of course, we're going to hand out who our player of the year to date is. We'll talk most improved, breakthrough player, most surprising rise. We'll talk comeback player of the year, of course. Then we're going to get into some arbitrary categories. I suppose every category is arbitrary when it comes to an award show, but we'll talk most disappointing season. We'll offer our one wish for the rest of the year, and we're actually going to start today's award show with a conversation of what our hypothetical top eight WTA Tour final fields would look like at this point of the season. It is a fantastic podcast that I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, if you're looking for updates on everything happening this week during week two of this 2023 grass court season, the mini break podcast feed is for you. If you're looking to hear from some of the players, coaches having success right now out on the pro tour, the cracked interviews podcast feed is what you should be listening to. You can find those wherever you listen to your podcast or, of course, by uh, by heading to our website, excuse me, cracked rackets.com like rate subscribe review share with your friends be sure to follow all of our social media as well so you don't miss any of our content that's at cracked rackets on twitter facebook youtube instagram you name it uh shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff without whom none of this content would be possible with all of that said though it's a jam-packed show so let's get to it here's my conversation with david kane offering out our awards at the halfway mark of this 2023 wta season Joining us on the podcast today to offer our awards at the halfway mark of the 2023 WTA season is the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets podcast. A man you all know best as essentially a co-host of our mini break podcast and editorial producer for all things Tennis Channel and Tennis.com. He was our source on the grounds in Paris. He's now back in the United States. We are also happy to have him back here on the Great Shot Podcast today. Welcome on to our show, David Kane, DK. Hey, Great Shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? This is really my first podcast with you since I've been back in the States. I've, I've lost all sense of time and space being in Paris for three and a half weeks. I feel like I already did a podcast with you, but I'm probably thinking of the one that I did from my uh, Montmartre hotel room that I was like deeply allergic to. So that's also part <laughs> yeah. of why things are are fuzzy, but I'm glad to be back. 
I'll talk. Yeah, when I last saw you, you were fighting the thread count of your hotel room. And so really? I know now I understand, you know, you stepped down on me. You went on to Phil Fama's show to talk some more French Open. You might have done that from your apartment. And I get it. All of us furry eyebrowed folks look alike. But, you know, nevertheless, it's great to have you back stateside and great to have you I had, you had back. a deeply satisfying 60 Minutes with Phil Fama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the rumors are all true. <laughs> well, that's, that's the title of his biography. Um, but, you know, again, looking... I, I, you know, I feel like this is great segue, Alex. Leave it in, Westoff. I feel like you've been a part of my life because we were talking about this before we started the show. We got a DK special. You know, again, whenever <laughs> I say that, you know what? You're on the show. I can say it with love. I know the difference between DK writing for tennis.com and DK writing about tennis, and it happens to be on tennis.com, but it's like a DK special piece. And we just got a double dose of the DK voice in your review of Breakpoint. And the reason I bring that up here at the start is our dear friend Gil Gross will be joining me to review every episode on our Breakpoint podcast. We're hoping to have you join us to talk about these back half of episodes. But you wrote a formal review of the final five. And as I suppose a sneak peek for all of our listeners, and they can go read the piece on tennis.com. Give me your unbiased, un, or not unbiased, but your un uncensored that's the word i'm looking for unvarnished perhaps yeah yeah that's it the unvarnished opinion is what i was looking for and thank you for leading me there great producing as always talk to me about the piece i mean i think you wanted me to open by grading the state of the women's game so i'll give i'll start by giving a grade to to break point i would give it a solid a hardcore b i think okay. overall i think it really starts with a bang the first two episodes that cover wimbledon i think are the most tight, cohesive, really give you that sort of panoramic view of the game that I think hardcore tennis fans especially are looking for. Does it maintain that momentum through the ends? No, and I don't think it was even for lack necessarily of resources or materials. They were a lot of power players who ended up on that breakpoint cast who really could have factored in more heavily into those uh, latter episodes. And I think there was there's this continued... Um, emphasis on wanting to feature one player in particular. And I think it's really ultimately to the detriment of the series, because I think we as tennis fans and even as casual fans, when we want to portray the game, it's not just about one player at one tournament. It's about 10, 15, 20 players at any given tournament, especially given the way things are, are, are trending in both the men's and women's game. So I would hope for a hypothetical slash very likely season two, we get more of a ensemble cast as opposed to a star and several uh, supporting characters. I think we really want sort of a strong equal ensemble that gives you that really clear picture of what's going on on tour. But overall, I would I would recommend it. There are some really cool moments. There's at least one good moment, I would say, in every episode that makes it worth watching. But uh, overall, I'm looking forward to even more improvement from part one to part two to a season two. I couldn't agree with that assessment more. I thought, and I've only watched the first two episodes, six and seven in total in the series, if you're looking big picture. It's a Star Wars thing here and how we map it out. They were an improvement from episodes one through five. And the hope is, yeah, much like the F1 show, much like any show, as you get to know the characters, as the show finds itself and what its groove is, that the show will continue to improve. But 
I point out the Tennis.com piece to remind all of you, yes, it's not a major. Tennis.com is always rocking and rolling, though, and you're just not doing tennis fandom right if you're not reading everything. They're popping out each and every day. So be sure to check out not just DK's work, but the entire Tennis.com team from Ed McGrogan, as I like to call him, Ed McGrogan, or anyone else who's writing each and every day. Again, we appreciate your efforts, DK. We appreciate the whole team's efforts. So be sure to check that out. That said, I did not have you here to plug Tennis.com. I guess I had you here partially for that, but I also had you here because this is the brief window in the calendar. Now, we've got grass court action going on, and given how few matches we see on grass courts prior to Wimbledon, it does feel like there's a heightened importance in terms of gathering these data points over these next couple of weeks so we can have some sort of way of forecasting what happens at the year's third major, but... This is a little bit of a window for us to take a pause, for us to take a breath, to reset and assess where things uh, stand heading into this back half of the season because first third, Australian Open through the sunshine swing, now in the books. The entire clay court swing from Stuttgart all the way through to the French Open for the men, Monte Carlo all the way through to the French Open. That's now in the books. We have the back half of the year ahead of us. We have all the jostling in the rankings. We know what people are going to be getting into the Canadas of the world, what people are going to be getting into the Cincinnati's of the world. And as such, here at Crack Rackets, with that brief window, what we love to do is offer some hardware. Talk about the most notable storylines, the most consequential things that have happened throughout the course of the year, and the most fun vehicle way of doing so is by handing out hardware. And so that's why we wanted to have you on the show here, DK, to do exactly that. The awards we're going to be offering, and I went through this in the intro, but just a reminder for all of our listeners today. We're talking player of the year. We're talking most improved, breakthrough players, most surprising rise, the most disappointing season. I know that's not an award they hand out at the end of the year. It would be hilarious if they did. We just had like a track. It would be good for the history books, honestly. If it's they a wooden did. spoon is the trophy. <laughs> yeah, or just like, uh, uh, <laughs> like a sad picture. You know how they give you the big check when you win the big trophies and the big prize they give you like a sad first round check and like that's your most disappointing season award but that comeback player one wish for the rest of the year then of course the points race isn't complete we still have half a year to go but at the halfway mark who are mine and dk's current top eights what is the field we would set right now if we got to choose the world tour finals that's the agenda for today's show it's gonna be a juicy one David is kind enough to be joining me for a men's equivalent show later on in the week as well. And much as I will on that show, I want to start today's conversation here, DK, before we get into any specific award. This is a season where, you know, again, Iga Sviantek was the dominant player of 2022. And the biggest question mark coming into the year was, can any player match her level? Can any player ascend to that top tier and join her and make it so it's not a one-player race at every event that we see, Iga versus herself? And for what it's worth, we have gotten an answer to that question. That is the most consequential storyline coming in. We can discuss the nuances of that answer as we go through today's show. But With that framework in mind, I ask you, halfway through the 2023 WTA season, what grade would you give the year thus far? 
it feels a little unfair to give the current state of the women's tour anything less than an A, because one of the biggest questions has been answered. To your point, we have now two immediate rivals to the most dominant player on the tour, which is a massive improvement for the tour, given the lack of any immediate rival to a dominant figure effectively since the pandemic. So I, I have to give major props to the tour, to Abrita Sabalenga, to Elena Rybakina, to Iga Svantec for being the sort of triumvirate that we have now come to expect to be featuring in the latter stages of most every tournament. However, <laughs> after those top three, there is still a pretty steep drop off to the point where, God bless her, Karolina Mukova is now number five in the race mm -hmm. in June on the strength of two and a half tournaments. I mean, that's not really a resume that you would think would guarantee you number five in the race, maybe number eight, maybe number seven, but to be top five, closing in on top four off of three good weeks really speaks to the lack of consistency from the women ranked below number three. And I think not too dissimilarly to last year, we had some, some kind of oasis in the desert where it felt like, okay, we have the top three, but we also have Jessica Pagula, Coco Goff, Anjibor, Maria Sakari. These are players are all kind of coming together to be this top eight that we're looking for, even a Belinda Bencic, for example. But in the last three months, you know, there have been issues, whether it's with, you know, on Jabor's health or the, you know, inconsistencies of Jessica Pagula and Coco Goff are starting to emerge. Belinda Bencic, not necessarily a, a hard hitter on clay. And so we're we're left with a situation that's not that different from where we were a year ago. I mean, it's it's better where it matters, but overall, I'm still a bit concerned for the lack of depth that I you know, grew up and I'm so used to expecting from the women's tour. So I think the fact that Svantec has two rivals, I think that's probably enough to bump it up to a B plus, but to get into that A minus A range, I really want to see a stronger, more determined top eight by the end of the season. I think we could still get it. There are a lot of grass and hardcore tournaments in particular left to play. And I think hard courts is a pretty good equalizer for this field, but a lot of improvements, but could still be better is my takeaway. You brought up critical points. It's an incomplete grade because I think as a framework, and just to set the standards for you and I, are you an A or bust sort of guy? Like if you brought home a B plus, what's the feeling in the Kane household? Oh, I mean, an A was disappointing. Where's the A plus? <laughs> okay, Why good. did you get 100? So, <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure we had the same grading standards going in. And I think fundamentally, if I was forced to put a grade on this season – it would be B plus because fundamentally the question has gotten answered. Do we have a hierarchy moving forward? And the answer is even if there are additions to the hierarchy, you got an, you did the multiple choice parts of the question right where, you know, again, all the big answers, all the significant meat of this test that needed to be passed uh, to be answered. It has because Sabalenka's run is real. She did it in Australia. She makes a final during the Sunshine Swing. She wins a master or a 1000 level clay court event. She makes the semifinals of the French Open. Her run is real. Rabakina, same deal. Finals of the Aussie, she wins Indian Wells, she wins one of the 1,000-level clay court events, and the only reason she didn't go further at the French Open is because she had to retire due to a virus. Similarly, Sviantec, was there going to be any let-up? 
You could argue if you want that there has been because she hasn't won 37 straight matches like she did last season. But fundamentally, yeah, exactly. But fundamentally, she has done exactly what you ask of a world number one. She's defended her points. She's defended her ranking. She's captured another Grand Slam title through the first half of the year. She's been a significant player at every significant event throughout the course of the season. Iga's played the role of number one just about as well as the role of number one can reasonably be expected to be played. So for all those reasons, you have to give the the answer B plus because now things get fun at the top of the tour moving forward and we kind of see where things are moving. But where you nailed the answer beautifully and why it's not an A is after that, question marks. And it's B plus because those question marks are fun. Like Pagula's still fun. You know, the, the rise of players who have had talent, like a Mukova who's starting to play a lot better, like, you know, again, the Haddad Mayas of the world, dare I say, things like that can be fun. And, you know, again, Krechikova's had her moments as well. Kvitova wins Miami. We know what she's capable of. Even if Coco Goff hasn't had a definitive result, she's been rock solid throughout the course of the year. Everything's been good. Hasn't been great. And it's like if you read deeper into the long answer section of the test and you're actually reading the essay, it's like, look, you answered the question. Your grammar was a little off. You could have cut down on this example. You could have expanded on your analysis as opposed to just listing facts of why these things happening were important. B plus would be my big picture grade there. Any final things? you And, and then, you know, again, some disappointments like Jabur injury, Halep suspension, obviously Conteve being forced to retire due to injury. You know, players like Tossin, Fernandez, Radicanu still hot and cold. B plus, final word goes to you. Sure. I mean, you mentioned Barbara Krejcikova and Petra Kvitova, who won two of the biggest titles of the first quarter of the year. And I totally forgot to mention them, which is a testament to how absent they have largely been since the tour turned to clay. And I think if you had those two flanking the top three, then all of a sudden you have a really strong top five. So if you're if we're looking towards August and those two players, you know, come up the rear and and meet the top three where they're at, then all of a sudden you have a really intriguing um, WTA finals lineup. But we need we need, more, we need more checks. <laughs> Mukova really held it up at, at Roland Garros, but we need the rest of them to really do uh, hold up their end of the bargain because I think we're 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 at a point where we have a top three, and that's great. But I don't necessarily think WTA fans in particular are that satisfied with the sort of big three ideal that I think men's tennis fans are maybe more conditioned for because they're used to seeing that big three. I don't think they even this current big three have earned that kind of gravitas of a big three on the men's side where it sort of feels like things need to change. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why the first topic I actually want to cover here today is our current top eights and the WTA tour finals field that you would set, because that's the biggest question right now is what is the top eight outside of your top three? And I know Rabakina loses to Vekic, but Go watch the match. Vekic played lights out. And, like, it's one grass court match in the first week of the grass court season for Rabakina. She was broken twice and lost 6-4 in a third or 6-3 in the third, whatever it was. Like, she's still a top three unequivocal contender, whatever order you want to go. Iga, Sabalenka, Rabakina as your top three contenders at Wimbledon. Those are your top three in whatever order you want to do. And we'll delineate them later as we get into player of the year, et cetera, um, later on in this show. I assume those are your top three. 
My order for what it's worth is Sviantec, Sabalenka, Rabakina. You can get into your order here in a moment. Um, or I, I guess those are your top three. What's your order? And we'll delineate more later. So I don't, we don't need the full explanation now. I mean, this is the tough part about doing, you know, mid-season retrospectives while the season is still happening. So I feel a little bit strange picking a number one who just lost to Veronica Kudamatova in Berlin. However, I still think overall, and I think the race would agree with me. I think Sabalink is still number one in the race. I still think she has had the best year overall. And then I would put Sviantec as a very close second on the back of her really strong clay swing. And, and Rybakina perhaps starting to seed a, a rather, yeah, Rybakina perhaps seeding a little bit of ground at number three. But those would be my top three with a bullet. And quite frankly, I'd be willing to cut it off there and have just a round robin with that with them three. And I think that would be a really intriguing WTA finals uh, ticket. I don't know if we need four through eight right now. Yeah. Why I have Iga one is you just look for Iga 35 and six this year, which just saying out loud, you're like ha, 35 and six. And it's a down start compared to last season. Here's why, you know, our game of good win, bad loss. Here's the six, uh, excuse me, good loss, bad, whatever. Uh, Pagula, United Cup, first week, who cares? Australian Open, Rabakina, we watched the match, she was lights out. Krechikova, Dubai final, I watched the match, she was lights out. Indian Wells, semifinal, we don't have to do the health thing again, but Rabakina played well enough well, to we win can. that match. <laughs> Madrid final, Sabalenka wins it in three. Rome quarterfinal, Rabakina wins it. Obviously, Sviantec forced to retire in the third due to injury. Here's the thing, of those six names... Those are maybe the other five best players in the world, you know, in Pagula, Rabakina, Krechikova, Sabalenka. Or it's just like, I, there's not a bad, she only loses to the very best. And like, I think Kudermatova on grass courts is pretty solid. That's a discussion for a different day. But like, you can't say the same about Sabalenka. You can't say the same about Rabakina. Like, Iga just, she hasn't had a bad tournament this year. And that's to me where, with all el- other things being equal, like what's the bad result for Iga on her schedule this season? I mean, I don't think really Sabalenka's had a bad. I mean, she, I, well, if you want to take the result to Kenan in Rome, which was off on the back of you know a long sure. two week stretch in Madrid, Kirstea like, in Miami, like does, does Iga, was on fire in Miami. Yeah, but though. does Iga lose that match? I mean, look again. So we're well, into it now. <laughs> well, hold on. Let's save. Let's save this more for for player yeah, of the year. Honestly, Final thought though what, to you. But what I will say is that the the reason why I would put Sabalenka ahead, and I think is important to remember, is that the clay court season's over. And I think when we look yeah, at, okay. you know, Iga's losses, they were two big hitting players on hard courts and what's coming up for the next six months, but hard courts and, yeah. you know, presumably big hitting opponents. So I think overall, based on the way Iga conducted herself through the hard court season, I think there is an advantage to players like Sabalenka and Rybakina. However, the to your point, does Iga come out of this clay court season just, you know, flush with confidence that allows her to replicate the kind of form that she was able to put together at the US Open? I mean, she's proven that she can deal with unfriendly conditions on hard courts. She did it in New York last year. So there is, I think, a very good argument for both players. Yeah. Uh, I, at number one. I agree. And I think the key thing here is Sviantek Sabalenka, some combination of one, two, Rabakina three. And then it gets really interesting. I want so, a World Series of Egan Arena. I want seven matches. <laughs> yeah. So, David Kane, would you like to tell me your top eight? Would you like to tell me my – would you like me to tell you my top eight and we can argue from there? How did you even approach this exercise? Because, like, it, by feel, by results, it's like there's a lot of one-offs in between, but no one has a definitive – I mean, so for what it's worth right now, 
in the WTA points race. Fourth place, Jessica Pagula, 2,445 points. She is a 1,000-point lead on 14th place, Anjabur, at 1,426. There are still two majors left to go, so those are up to 2,000 points of opportunities, 4,000 between the two. You have you know, plenty of 1,000-level events on the calendar as well. The point is 1,000 points at this sort of stage means nothing speaks to how narrow the gap is. It speaks to the fact that outside of the stranglehold, by the way, so the 2,000-point gap that Rabakina has with Pagula, she's 2,016 points ahead. That's the same gap as fourth place Pagula, and you'd have to go all the way down to 69th, excuse me, 68th place Sonia Kennan. That's the same gap. Between three and four is the same gap between... Sonia Kennan for WTA Finals. Yeah, exactly. Four and 68. Like... That's what we're talking about, a locked-in top three. DK, how'd you approach it? Yeah, so this is where I think it's important that you laid that foundation because I don't really think anyone under number three has really locked in their place to say, like, wow, they really, if they're not there, it's because you're biased and you're you know, being unfair to them. I don't really think anyone outside of the Iga, Arena, Elena, tri- Trifecta have really booked their place in the top eight. And so... I think it gives us a bit of carte blanche to say who we would actually like to see in the top eight. I don't really think there were kind of any wrong answers because as you said, we can go down to number 69 and find someone who is just within spitting distance of the top eight, which is pretty wild. And so with that said, I think I would want my Czech trio. I think I would want, you know, a, a peak form Mukova, peak form Krejcikova, peak form Petra Kvitova. And then that makes room, it's five, six, seven, then there's one more. And so who would my wild card be? Would you look at for Jessica Pagula? Would you look for a Donna Vekic, a Haddad Maya, a Yelena Ostapenko? Who would I personally want to see rounding out that topic? Maybe Ostapenko? I mean, I don't know. She might be the least deserving of that group, but um, I don't I don't really think there are any wrong answers when it comes to picking below number three. So I'm curious who you ended up uh, selecting. Well, thank you for asking. I always appreciate. Uh, One of us thought real hard about this. It wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let the record show, folks. I take award season very seriously. People know that. I'm a history major. I think awards are the best way to document the history if you do them accurately of what happened in a given season. And it's the best rubric or table of contents for significance moving forward. Maybe break points. You take a look at these award ballot shows from us here, DK. Do you want the metrics argument or do you just want the list straight up first and then you can tell me what you do or don't like? I think I want the list because, as I said, I don't really think the metrics you can bend really to anyone at this point. So that's exactly it. And I guess I'll make the case for my 8-9 when I get there from a metrics perspective because I think that Of course you picked a number nine. (laughs) Yeah. Are you kidding? I have 17 candidates, DK. That I that each received due consideration. Even you, Maria Sakari, sitting at seventeenth on the list, received due consideration. You have your very own top seventy. There's yeah. the one well, that exists, and then there's let one the that record you came show up with. the real top eight in the race right now: Sabalenka one, Sviantek two, Rabakina three, Pagula four, Mukova five, Goff six, Krechikova seven, Bencic eight, Kudermatova nine. Let the record show there are thirteen points separating Krechikova at seven, Kudermatova at nine. There are fifty-six points between. Between Krejcikova at seven, Kvitova at eleven, so that's one match. Um, the gap is that narrow in real life. Pagula four on vibes. Yes, she lost to Mertens at the French Open. That's her first bad loss in eighteen months. And you're asking me out of the top three, 
I don't like the expression gun to my head anymore, but push comes to shove, Alex. You have to give me a pick. Pick one person to win a match right now with the money on the line. I'm picking Jessica Pagula to win that match if I don't have the top three available to me because I'll just take – I know exactly what I'm getting from Jessica Pagula. She's played one bad match in the last 18 months. She's my four. Mukova's my five. I said I wasn't going to do metrics, and it's not going to be a deep dive, I promise you. But just very quietly, everyone talks about the French Open run. Mukova's 23-8 and this year. She's fifth amongst top 50 players in wins on the season. It's not just one week. She's been that good all year long. She's my five. Credit, I mean, was uh, David's making a face. She's been, a, look, this is, it, she's been that good, meaning in the era of the question mark, which is this three through eight, she's been as good as anyone else. That's why Carolina. She's been, Mukova. she's been solid and really great in Paris. I mean, which, maybe, maybe she, she created the opportunity to be number five in the race okay. as opposed to just. That's exactly it. Solid everywhere else plus one sign of really great greatness is enough sure. to make this list right now. Fine. <laughs> and in that spirit, Krechikova six. Because if she doesn't draw Sabalenka three times in three events, she'd have more quarterfinals to her resume. Her peak has been that good, even if the nadir has been a little lower. Haddad Maya seven for all the same reasons. Plus, she's been pretty good everywhere, even if the you know first round loss Australian Open offset by the semi at Roland Garros. Eight, nine, ten was really tough. I have three players who made this final list of consideration. Kvitova, Goff, Bencic. Bencic was not good enough in the clay post-Charleston. Not, just hasn't been consistent enough as good as she was through the first six weeks. So she's my ten. Came down to Kvitova versus Goff. Kvitova didn't win a match. During the clay court season. Now she won Miami. She quarterfinaled Indian Wells. She had a really good sunshine swing. She's really just had one really good month this year. And that's the basis for her success this season. Versus a Coco Goff, who's been quietly really good. Like, I mean, really solid. Goff, 23 and 9 overall in the year. Again, tied with Mukva, fifth most wins amongst top 50 players. Fourth round quarterfinals at the two majors for Goff, and I don't think there's either shame and uh, any shame in either of her losses. She lost to what Iga obviously in at the French Open. She lost to Ostapenko, who was, oh, in that Ostapenko. By the way, in my honorable mentions, she also received due consideration just for the twenty. If it was a twenty minute peak. World Tour Finals, she would be in it from this season because she's played better 20 minutes than just about anyone not in the top three this year. Anyways, Goff doesn't have a bad loss. She also doesn't have a good win. That's the problem. And you look for Coco Goff this season. Again, 23 and uh, 23 and what, nine overall in the year. She's beating everyone she's supposed to beat. Coco Goff against top 10 opponents this year, 0-3. Coco Goff against top 20 opponents this year, two and five. That's just not good enough to offset a Masters 1000 title or sorry, 1000 level title for Kvitova. And so Kvitova's peak, she's five and three against top 20 players this year, gets her just over Goff for that eighth spot. Again, Haddad Maya's peak gets her just over Goff in terms of top 20, top 10 wins uh, on my list right now. Haddad Maya seven, Kvitova eight, Goff nine, Bencic 10, that's where I rested on this final word goes to you. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the problem is that we're not just looking to pass the top eight based on the last six months. We're looking to kind of prognosticate where these players are going to be over the next six months. And I think 
while Pagula's only had one bad loss, it was her most recent loss. And now she's heading onto the grass where she's unlikely to, you know, rebuild that momentum. And it's going to take her into the hard courts, perhaps to get another really good win, you know, and from what I've heard, she's perhaps a little bit tired. She's had to play a lot of tennis and she's someone who I think is still very grateful to be where she is. I mean, this is a player who never thought she would be number four in the world or number three in the world and is, you know, I think trying to take as much advantage of that moment as she can, perhaps to the long-term uh, detriment of her career. You look at Coco Goff, it's not just that she's losing matches that she's not maybe not supposed to win, but it's the way she's losing them. I mean, she's they're not competitive. These matches against Sabalenka, you know, got bageled by Bedosa, got bageled again today by Alexandrova on grass against Alexandrova can happen. But I think these, you know, eh losses are really starting to pile up for Coco and you wonder where she will be by the end of the year. I mean, so much of it, I think, is She's been able to do so much in spite of herself. And so I I, I worry long-term. I think that the, the win over Andreeva in Paris was so essential because it was like, girl, <laughs> you got to win this match to like stay at least at par with what we're what we're expecting of you. Same with Krejcikova. I mean, where is she? <laughs> where is she? And, you know, that's it's it's brutal to be coming into this part of the season and not knowing where some of these players are who started the season so strong and it were would have been with a bullet. You would have thought Krejcikov would have just gained so many points over the last couple of months. And where is she mentally? Where is she physically? You know, Petra Kvitova, I think, is probably one of the few that we've mentioned, maybe Benchich as well, who have a sh- are perhaps coming in with some upward momentum, having performed well on grass and hardcore. Some of them are players who you would have already thought would have built up their point spread on the clay and and been able to coast through grass back onto the hard courts. And so, yeah, it, my sense is we're going to, we've had a lot of WTA finals that have come down to that last week. And I kind of think we're in it for that again, barring, you know, a big surge in form from a group of players. Your mouth to God's ears. Um, yeah. Again, the two players I disagree with, I would swap out Goff and Benchich, who are currently six and eight respectively for Haddad Maya and, uh, and Kvitova, Kvitova, who are 10th and 11th, respectively. Say your list one more time for the listeners. So I, I'm thinking about it now, and I think I only picked seven. So okay. I'm going to pick an eighth now. I'm going to go with the Sabalenka, Shvantec, Rybakina, Mukova, Kvitova, Krechkova, and then we'll you say... No yeah. Pagula? I just, I don't know where Pagula is. You know, I, admit, wow. I think maybe we'll put her in wow. because I think to pick two crazies would be, yeah. or two randoms would be weird. And then I'd, maybe my eighth would either be Ostapenko, maybe Adana Vekic. You know, I think that there is some argument that Vekic has had one of the low-key, really good seasons. And, you know, coming onto grass and hard courts, this is now a part of the season that's really going to benefit her. So you would think, you know, you see her, the way she beat Rabakina, can she carry that momentum? And then I know the finals was a goal for her. So that would be a really fun story if she can round out the top eight. So I think, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well said. Well, again, you want to hear my quick honorable mentions? We'll do it quickly. We're not going to sure. – but the other people in my mind still in the running. And Vekic was someone I left off, so 18 total names. Uh, again, Mylish, Fiontek 1, Sabalenka 2, Rabakina 3, Pagula 4, Mukova 5, Krechikova 6, Haddad Maya 7, Kvitova 8, Goff's my 9, Bencic my 10, the others who received consideration, Kurmatova, Potapova, Garcia, Ostapenko, Bedosa, who's been really good when on court. She just hasn't been on court. Uh, I know. Yeah. Jabur, Sakari, Vakic. Those are the names. And again, that's a pretty solid group uh, there. But 
Look, since we opened... Oh, sorry, go ahead. You got one more thing. No, I was just going to say all those players have had at least one good to really great week so yeah. far. So yeah. that's... But the problem is only three players have had really more than one good week. Yeah, no. Well said. And speaking of which, let's talk about those three players since we opened the can of worms. Player of the year to date. You only have three people to pick from. Sabalenka, Sviantek, Rybakina. You began your Sabalenka argument as for why she's number one in your points race. I assume that means you have her as the player of the year to date thus far. If not, enlighten me who you do have. If so, please do expand on your case. Yeah, no, I'm, again, I'm, I take an Ons Jabor approach to my player of the year <laughs> award. It's no patterns, no stats, just vibes. And I think what I always try to ask myself is when I think back on this year, who will I remember as, you know, who will be the first player that jumps to mind? And yeah, obviously 2021, Ash Barty, 2022, Igish Fiontech. 2023 for, for me will be the year that Arena Sabalenka turned a corner won her first slam and and asserted herself as one of the premier consistent players on tour. And I think for as great as Iga has done at defending, she set an incredibly high standard for herself. She had a near perfect 2022. And while she has defended 92% of that, you know, it's still perhaps not, it's, it's not something we haven't already seen from her and perhaps a slightly less, uh, perfect version of that. So I think in terms of the the name that I will remember, you know, barring catastrophe and barring, you know, Iga going on another 37 match winning streak and, you know, shutting everybody up and winning, you know, Wimbledon at Wimbledon in the US Open. And I think right now the season really does belong to Sabalenka, certainly the first six months. Yeah, that, it's a fair case to make. Sabalenka, 34 and six overall on the year. Obviously, she wins the Australian Open. She makes a final at Indian Wells. She wins Madrid, Rome. Madrid's first, Madrid. right? Yeah. yeah. I, it's the. It's. In one it's, of the matches of the year, I would say. Yeah. It, it, no, it was, it was something else. And, you know, again, you look for her. It's not just how she's winning, it's who she's beating. She's 5-2 and two against top 10 opponents this season. Those five wins match with Sviantec, match with Rabakina, uh for the most wins on the uh, against top 10 opponents on the year. You look at top 20 victories, you know, she's 10-2 and two against top 20 opponents, and that's third for what it's worth. Sviantec 12-4, Rabakina 11-5. She's been good everywhere. She's backed it up. And, you know, again, to make that jump from really good to elite of the elite, that's the most difficult jump to make uh, in all of tennis. That's the jump we ask of every young player, not ask, but we aspire to see out of every young player. And, you know, for what it's worth, I say I've joked about this before, Sabalenka is the oldest 25-year-old we've had maybe on the WTA Tour in quite some time, but she's still 25 years old. And to be entering the prime of her career at this level in this form it's exceptional. And that, you know, again, the break percentage is a career high. She's over 80% hold percentage. That's the elite of the elite club. She's been exceptional. My argument for Iga is Iga's just been a little bit better, like a little bit more consistent. And, I, you know, again, it, it's very much on the margins. It's one slam title apiece. You know, it's one 1,000-level title apiece. They've both made a couple of 1,000-level finals. They both have five top 10 wins. Iga just has a few more top 20 victories. Iga has fewer head-scratching results, even if, again, the Kirstea loss, the Kennan loss, the... 
I just like uh, the semifinal loss at Roland Garros, even to Mukova. Like that's a match five two up. Sabalenka's got to win. Um, again, the margins are really thin. I just go Iga because maybe the only thing more difficult than making that ascension to the top level is at 21 and 22 years old, following it up with the level that we've seen from Iga. And it's just abundantly clear she's not going anywhere uh, for the next decades plus. And, you know, we talk about her re- her prowess as a returner. Iga's holding 82.6% of the time this season. That's better than Rabakina. Like, it's ridiculous. Her like, the efficiency. She just continues to get better on the margins. This is someone who's already a number one player in the world, and so I don't know. I think the follow up act is more difficult than the opening act, and so uh, to, to a good sequel is harder to produce than a good opening film. And so for those reasons, I take Iga as my player of the year. But yeah, the margins are extraordinarily close. Yeah. Again, Iga has set an impossibly unfair standard for her to match up to. What I will counter to that is that I think coming out of the first six months, what we have learned really is that Sabalenka at her best is not losing too many people outside of perhaps herself and perhaps Rabakina. And I think for Strontek, you know, at even at her best, she is still at a technical disadvantage to the likes of an informed Sabalenka and Rybakina, which was not the case for Strontek last year. There was no one who was her equal. And now there are two pretty demonstrable rivals nipping at her heels who have, who are responsible for basically all of her losses, which in some ways I think is more consequential than perhaps an off day to Sophia, to Sophia Kennan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a good argument. I, I I don't know. Listen, and and listen, she can go to the U S open beat, you know, Rabakin and Sabalenka back to back or some combination prove that, you know, just prove to everybody that she could beat a big hitter on a fast court you know, and, and can outfox them out. I'm sure she's certainly capable of it. She's one of the best athletes, if not the best athlete on tour. She's one of the best competitors, if not the best competitor on tour. She's not incapable of doing it. She just hasn't done it yet in the first six months. And that's been really shocking to me. I think the fact that it, it kept happening, particularly against Rybakina, is a little weird. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be, that's going to be the soundbite. Yeah, <laughs> David no. Kane thinks Iga Shrontek's a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, again, Rybakina's been really good this year. Like, let's not throw her 32 and seven record short. You win over 80% of your matches through six months and that we have three players who have all won over 80% of their matches through six months. It speaks to the fact that, yeah, there is sort of this big three forming at the top of the game. Is there a Rabakina case even to make for her being the player of the year? Like, I, I don't, I think it would be more so, all right, let's get let's get to our next category then. You go Sabalenka, I go Sviantek. If I'm going to go anywhere for Rabakina, I actually think her more so than Sabalenka deserves the most improved award. And that would be my pick heading in. That's the award I want to talk about now because I think Sabalenka had flashed this sort of top tier tennis in the past. And I'm aware coming into the season, Rabakina had more Grand Slam titles than Sabalenka, and she won Wimbledon last season. But given the absence of Russian, Belarusian players in that Wimbledon, given just the, I think, relative uncertainty from everyone surrounding grass court tennis right now, you could only put so much weight 
into Rabakina, into not just it's not taking away credit from Rabakina's run to the Wimbledon title, but where that Wimbledon title run factored into her place in the larger ecosystem, that was certainly still a question coming into the year. And for her to just decisively answer, like, no. What you saw at Wimbledon is real. Like, I am top tier good. And even without Wimbledon finals points, uh, Wimbledon title points, the fact that she has elevated herself to third in the rankings, the fact that she is that definitive third in the points race and the gap between her and fourth place Pagula is the same as fourth place Pagula and 68th Sonia Kennan. I think her jump was more significant and perhaps more unexpected than Arena Sabalenka's. And again, I think the jump she made is more significant than a jump of candidates like a Potapova or you want to get further down the list, the Alicia Parks, Peyton Stearns is of the world who have had these incredible first halves of the seasons. I think that Rabakina jumps the most significant of the year. She's my most improved to date. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Make the argument. I mean, listen. Well, first I'll say that I would say that Elena Vrbakina is perhaps an unfortunate allergy attack away from being a contender for player of the year. I mean, she was playing some pretty good ball. I mean, played really great tennis in her in her last match in Paris before she was forced to pull out and certainly had the draw. I think we were all looking to see another rematch of Sviantek Rabakina, just as much as we were looking for a rematch of uh, Sviantek Sabalenka. We want to see those permutations and to be robbed of that is probably one of the bigger what if moments of this tournament. What if Rabakina is healthy, plays Sviantek, does the entire field change? You know, I'm sure, I'm sure if you're a hardcore fan of Sviantek, you would say no because of the clay and the way that Iga, I mean, Iga was certainly playing the dominant tennis. Uh, over those two weeks, regardless of who was across the net. But I think that's an unfortunate wrinkle for Rybakina season. But in terms of most improved, you know, both Sabalenka and Rybakina proved that they were capable of top tier tennis both before and after the pandemic. You know, lest we forget, Rybakina was was proving herself capable of this kind of consistency in the early stretches of 2020 before the pandemic. She then proved in 2022 she was capable of elite consistency to win Wimbledon. And now she's kind of strung the two together and she's now top tier consistent, you know, sort of the both, both uh, halves of the coin. And I'm glad that we have allowed this conversation to stretch long enough for me to see who was the winner of the Anastasia Potapova, Katie <laughs> McNally match. Potapova did drop a third set tie bagel on McNally. I was telling Grusk before the podcast that if she loses this match to McNally, it'd be very hard for me to justify picking her as her most improved because that would be the opposite of an improvement if she lost that match uh, to McNally under the circumstances that she did, but she won it. And so she is my most improved because up against the likes of a Sabalenka Rybakina, I did not know that Potapova was capable of this kind of consistency. We have seen stretches from both Sabalenka and Rybakina before this year that they were capable of that kind of consistency. We had never seen it before from Potapova. I think the serve has improved. The There are fewer mental lapses in the game that have seen her really lose, you know, a lot of games in a row was a bit, this was a bit Potapova classic against McNally today was down five, two in the third had been up, was up three, one in the first lost that set, but comes back from five, two to win it uh, in three against McNally. I just think that she has strung together quietly one of the more impressive seasons. I think her and Vekic are the two most uh, interesting B stories uh, of the women's tour right now. And so I, and I, but, between Potapova and Vekic, we've seen some flashes of brilliance from Vekic. And Potapova is so close to a top 20 debut. She's been flirting with it basically since Miami. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen this summer. So, um, and I'm looking forward to it. It couldn't be more 
deserved. I think she's had just a phenomenal start to the season. And so she is my most improved, certainly more than a lot of these other names than Gruska that put on this list for me to look through. It's it's Potapova with a bullet for me. Well, I think the Potapova storyline factors into something I'll get into a little bit later, which is more broadly how young the WTA top 100 and top 150 has gotten very quickly. You just look at some of the names up and down the list. Again, Kostyuk's still, what, 21 years old, 22 maybe. And she is like, uh, she's not considered a top-tier elite prospect moving forward. She is going to be very good throughout the course of her career, especially when she plays her best tennis. And we've seen flashes of that this season as she's worked her way into the top 40. You know, Vavara Gracheva has worked her way into the top 50. Players like Alicia Parks, Peyton Stearns, even Katie McNally all solidifying their spots in the top 70. They're all top 20, uh, top, excuse me, they're all thir- 23 and younger. The Avenisians of the world. There's a lot yeah. of players who have improved. Players like Stearns, Avenician, Parks, they're more breakthrough-y to me. I feel yeah, like well, improved, exactly. you want to still see some body of work that, to improve from. We didn't really know too much about Parks and, and Avenician before like, well, well, a few to, months ago. Well, to your point, I agree. And that's why I have my rant saved for them later. Um, but I think they're all candidates as certainly they've continued to improve through their game, whether it's McNally's consistency or just how much better she's driving the back. I, I'm, I'm not going to get into all of the ways each of those players have improved. Does Mukova belong on this list? No, because she's made a Grand Slam semifinal before okay. and barely didn't make it the first time, you know, lost in three sets to Jen Brady. It wasn't like she got embarrassed in her first Grand Slam final and you know, yeah. Grand Slam semi. And then, you know, this for Mukova, it was all about health. We want to talk about most improved physical consistency. Perhaps it's it's Mukova, but I think on in a more holistic fashion, I think it's it's not her. Yeah. No, I think the Potapova serve has improved. I mean, the Sabalenka consistency on the return of serve. Oh, it's marvelous. I'm still going Rabakina with how consistent she is now with her power and how just decisive she is with her game, that confidence. Maybe it's even just an improvement mentally of the fact that she knows she can impose her will on people now. You see that, and I just think that's the biggest jump is I always thought Sabalenka had this sort of potential to be a perennial contender. I didn't know how quickly Rabakina would get there that she has gotten here so quickly. She's my most improved, but... You know, she's one, Sabalenka's two, Potapova's three, and then there's a gap. Like, I I think those are the top three you have to pick for from this award. But you brought up Breakthrough. That's where we'll go next because, you know, again, you can have Rabakina breaking into the top tier. You can have fun breakthroughs like the Noskovas, the Parks, the Stearns. I think Mira Andreeva has to be on the list of breakthroughs because we all now know her. We've seen her interview at that tennis channel desk with Prakash multiple times now. Uh, a Ju Lin of the world, given her run uh, early in the season, that was a breakthrough. I didn't say my pick there. I'll, I'll let you go first. Who, who you got? Oh, it's Andreeva. I mean, like, okay. again, these are the Sabalenka Rebakinas. I save them for a player of the year discussion. I feel like most improved breakthrough, you want to give love to sort of the uh, below the top tier. I think especially given the state of the women's game, it's so top heavy as it is. I think we don't totally want to discount those ranked outside the top three and what Andreev has been able to do over the last. With that premise first, before you make the Andreeva argument, because that is the foundation of why I would pick Sabalenka for this award. I think the award should tell the story of the season. And you mentioned it being a top heavy season. Let the awards reflect that fact. Like, what has mattered this season? The answer is, of course, other things have mattered on the margins. And if you want to hear those things, listen to the mini break podcast. But what has actually mattered? That's Should the soundbite. Nothing matters. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm used to it. Rabakina, Sabalenka, 
approaching and, dare I say, reaching the tier of Sviantec, that's the takeaway through the first six months. And later in the season with 12 months of retrospective information, yes, we can perhaps, if there's a young player whose breakthrough is significant enough that now they factor into, you know, the 30,000-foot view picture, maybe we have to talk about it. But, like, Andriva hasn't been that good. Like, she's been really good, but she hasn't been have to just, this is a storyline. Or like, Naskova, this is a storyline. And I just think being top-heavy in the awards through the halfway point would be reflective of what we've seen this season. Well, I mean, first of all, given the fact this is going to be like a 14-hour podcast, I feel like it's important to not <laughs> no, devote we'll all that time to two players. Yeah. But second of all, I think when I think of breakthrough, I think of newcomer, more okay. or less. And I think you do want to not necessarily give that to someone who, I mean, yes, the the Sabalenka breakthrough was massive. It was certainly something we've been predicting. Certainly I've been predicting for a very, very long time. So it certainly wasn't that shocking when it finally happened. Um, Mira Andreeva, someone I had not really, I knew about Erica Andreeva. I knew they were sisters, but like the fact that Andreeva did what she did in Madrid, followed it up near perfectly at Roland Garros. I think we, the fact that she didn't beat Coco Goff became the shock because it just seemed like she was so poised and so ready for a big win at a big tournament. Um, and perhaps there's still some room for her to improve. <laughs> Maybe at the end of the year, she will be most improved. Um, but I just think when I think of a breakthrough, someone who to- totally came ostensibly out of nowhere, it's it's Andreeva. Mm-hmm. You look... I have most surprising rise as a separate category for us to discuss because I view the two things as different. And honestly, I wanted to cheat to make that argument about the first half of the year and the awards. There's some wacky nominees on that list. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll talk about it in a second. But I can't argue with the injury of a pick. And I think it's a good one. I think if I wasn't going to vote for Sabalenka, <sighs> yeah, that's pro- um, I'd probably go Naskova because, like, God. I know it happened in January, but oh my God, was she good in that run early in the season to the finals. And so two good picks. Peyton Stearns would be in on my short list. And this gets me to most surprising run. This is where, look, Lynette semifinals of the Australian Open. No one saw that coming. You can pick that. Most surprising rise, excuse me. But I would turn to two things. One, and this is indicative of a broader trend, but part 1A, I suppose, Emma Navarro, Peyton Stearns, took them one year out of college to break into the top 100. That just doesn't happen historically. And it speaks to, A, how young, but B, how freaking good and how talented the WTA Tour is right now. I did the math. There are 25 players in the top 150 who are ages 21 or younger right now. And it's just the depth of that group to see names like, you know, Goff and Chin Wen, Kostyuk, Naskova are obviously the big ones, but like the Fruvertovas are really good. The Andrivas are really good. You know, Clara Tawson, really good. I haven't even mentioned the mainstream ones, Radakanu, Fernandez, Anisimova. They're still all 21 or young, younger. They're all really good. I think Diane Perry has a really good game. You know, again, the Andrivas and Ashlyn Kruger hits the crap out of the ball. Katie McNally. The biggest surprise to me is how good all these young players are already, DK, and how quickly they've been able to assert themselves, it feels like, every week. Like, you know, again, Pliskova played uh, Kvitova in the first round this week. And as weird as that sounds, superficially, it's like, yeah, but like 
All these other players, you know, again, Andrescu's 23. Like, Iga's 22. They're not old either. This new wave is just here. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we're there's no... I think we're not spoiled for choice when it comes yeah, for exactly. when it comes to the next big thing. I think we still want to see consistency from yeah. this this next stretch. But like I said, we've seen at least one good to great result from everybody, it seems, in the first six months. And that's not a bad problem. That's certainly given us a lot of opportunities to see different types of players and what it takes for them to succeed long term. But um, yeah, I think. We've seen this trend over the last couple of years where the the women's tour is getting younger. It's turning over in a way that maybe perhaps feels a bit more organic than even on the men's side where you still have the lingering after effects of your Nadal's and and current effects of Novak Djokovic. Um, so yeah, it's it that in that way it's very intriguing because it feels like we're set up for a a really cool decade of of women's tennis. We kind of want that decade to get started maybe a little bit faster. Yeah, no, it's fair. I I mean. Definitely, there's a complement of choices. You're right. They, there needs to be a little bit more consistency. Even a Chin Wen who, well, we can get to. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, did you have a different most surprising rise that you wanted to mention in this category? Because I didn't give you many options here. No, it's 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 a tough one because I don't yeah. really think there have been a lot of like meteoric rises where it's yeah. like, wow, they came out of nowhere. I mean, it is perhaps, I mean, what's surprising to me, we, we have uh, Jung Chin Wen at the top of your most disappointing uh, season nominees. I think I am a little bit surprised that that Chin Wen is not factored in to a bigger part of the 2023 tour conversation. I think based on the way she ended last year, the flashes that we've seen of her a bit at the start of the season, it felt like she was ready to take over the tour. And that really hasn't happened yet. And, and I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. Mm-hmm. Although no. some good news because she just hired Wim Fizette. Well, this gets us to most disappointing season. You're great at these segues, DK. Again, hand in a glove. Obviously, there's a lot of injury things. You know, you're disappointed in the traditional sense of the world that Katve has to retire due to injury. RIP to our group chat. Um, Halep suspension, disappointing. Fernandez, Radakanu, Tossins of the world, even Jabur to start the season, a little disappointing. I had Sasnovich as a low-tier candidate. We don't have to talk about her. I think there are four mainstream disappointments that like, I, I just think these are the obvious candidates. These are the four players who should have factored more into this season, given their form, given everything we've seen from them that didn't. And I have Maria Sakari as one, not in no definitive order. Sakari, Bianca Andreescu, Ludmilla Samsonova, and Jung Shin Wen. Those are my four biggest disappointments of the season. Now, I'm happy to get into all of them, but I'd prefer to just let you pick. Is that a fair list? And and who of that list has stood, you know, again, is the one to you that you're a little disappointed it hasn't gotten going thus far? I mean, it is. I mean, I think with Andreescu, I feel like I've been disappointed sure. <laughs> that Andreescu hasn't We're just been in a, a bigger factor. Pattern. I've been disappointed since 2019, basically. Like, I've just sure. been waiting for the follow-up and it hasn't happened. I mean, I think the player that I am most singularly disappointed in is probably um, Samsonova, who I just thought ended the season great and just looked teed up to have a really great start to the year. And since that loss to uh, Belinda Bencic in the Abu Dhabi final, where she was up match point, I'm pretty sure. And then has lost a lot of close matches, was, you know, up, you know, was up 5-2, I believe, against Pavlyuchenkova in Paris. And Pavlyuchenkova comes back and she played so great against Volinets in the first round of of Roland Garros on court seven, just like seemed like she was in phenomenal shape, was seeing the ball like a basketball, granted, 
know, given the opponent, maybe that was that perhaps helps. But I mean, the fact of the matter was she was playing really good ball regardless. And the fact that Samsonova is yet to really re- assert herself as one of the top players, I feel like that's there, there's few things or few things for her to blame um, at this situation because there's no there's no major technical hitches. There's no physical lingering issues. It just seems like it's perhaps a bit mental at the moment. Um and then obviously Jung Chin Wen, who I thought was going to just be a much bigger factor on tour. So they would be my my top two. Yeah, uh, I think for Andrescu, the thing that is most concerning to me is it hasn't felt health related. Like she's been relatively healthy throughout the course of this season. The clay court a little uh, season a little bit less so, but you know, you look for Andrescu twelve and eleven overall on the season coming into the week. I think now twelve and twelve overall in the year after she lost first round of Andrusova. But like, how many close matches can she play where she's just on just the wrong end of them? It feels like every match she's got a shot, but again. Or not close. Show, she yeah. didn't show up against Lesia Sarenko, which was sure. shocking to me. No, but it's just like, yeah, it's just uh, you still see the ten, like go watch the Vondrosova match from from yesterday. The quality was spectacular, and like for what it's worth, Andrescu's still thirty five in the world, and you still watch her, and there's still ten minutes from the eye test perspective where you're like, yep, she still got it. Like that is a skilled, athletic talent who just belongs at the top of the women's game. It's just the pieces haven't come together. The slurve gets serve gets sloppy. The you know again the errors seep in. The choices get a little bit questionable. I would say my biggest disappointment is hmm, I don't know. I mean Samsonova, same thing. Like there are moments when it's great, but it's still so one speed dependent. Her and Chin Wen, it's a very similar story where they have the games, they have the athleticism. It's just about putting the pieces together. And I thought they were, I thought they would have more consistently by now. You know, Samsonova's had the better runs than Chin Wen so far this year. Chin Wen, obviously, a little bit more injury related, uh, perhaps some of her struggles. <sighs> Yeah, I'd go Andrescu one just because I she is better than this. Like, and and you can see it ten minutes of every match. Yeah, I mean, another what if of the season is what if Bianca Andrescu was all that we believe her to be and all that she was at the end of 2019, or from from almost all of 2019 when she was healthy. I mean, that would be a tremendous game changer. I think on everybody's shortlist for a WTA finals pick, but unfortunately she has not strung together that kind of resume that justifies that just yet. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's fair. Uh, uh, and so, you know, again, disappointing, still six months to go, still plenty of matches available uh, for all these players to turn things around. All right. You said four hour pod. We only got two more to go. And I think these last two are going to be the quickest too. <laughs> David made a face comeback player of the year. I had five candidates. I think pretty straightforward. I'm sure I'm missing someone, so help me fill in the gaps here. Mukova, Svitolina, Venus, Pavlichenkova, Vondrosova. Who you got? Which way you leaning? Ooh, it's tough. I mean, obviously, I think statistically, it's probably Mukova. You know, my head says Pavlichenkova just based on how she played uh, in Paris. Like the depth of shot, how fit she was, how motivated she was, and how inspired she was by the loss to Iga Shantik in Rome to really turn her career around and, and be that top player that everyone's always believed her to be and how refreshed she is after um, that injury timeout that she had to take. I mean, my heart would probably say Alina Svitolina, who I think, you know, very much has become just a 
inspirational figure, you know, on the tour as a global figure. I mean, she has worn this mantle, this unenviable mantle with incredible grace and intelligence. And it, she's really just someone who has come into her own in a way that's really, really fantastic. And so I think I, I would certainly hope that any accolade that can come Svitolina's way, she takes and is able to, to take. And I hope that the WTA honors her in the way that she deserves come the end of the year, because I think she's just been such a phenomenal presence in a comeback that is more than just ceremonial. She's someone who seems like she's here to play and here to win on top of the very important message that she's delivering. So I think my number one, I guess, is Svitolina. Yeah, I think that's the right choice. It would be my pick. The other sneaky thing, she's playing awesome tennis. Right? Yeah, it was crazy. Her level, the aggression she showed, there was just more chutzpah on the forehand than I remembered. And maybe it had just been a while, but that was the most striking thing. It wasn't just that she was having success. It was that it was deserved, not flukish success, not like the Murray versus Oscar Oto where you want to scrap your eyes out because the tennis is so bad success. You're like, no, she's giving these players the business and it's impressive to watch. I mean, look, what Mukova has done is obviously remarkable, but I agree. I think Svitolina deserves it. Just it's so it's not just coming back from giving birth to her first kid. It's everything off the court surrounding her scenario that encompasses the comeback player of the year award. So, yeah, that would be my pick. Last question for you. One wish for the remainder of the season. What are you going with and why? I guess my one wish would be a consistent top eight. I think that's yeah. the one thing that I'm looking for. We've, we've got a consistent top three to maybe four, but I want all eight. I want a a coterie of contenders. And right now we have half a coterie. We have a trio, you know, and I really want to see a tour where the quarterfinal lineup is a bit more reliable. And we're not quite there yet. This marked improvement from last year, but I still... I'm greedy and I'm impatient. I want more. So I, I hope for a, a even more stable, consistent uh, WTA field. Mine's simple. I want Coco Goff to get a top 10 win. Like, it's it, she's playing better. The serve is better. She's more comfortable moving forward. She beats everyone she's supposed to beat. There's only one ingredient missing. I actually think the parallels in what they've accomplished between Yannick Sinner and Coco Goff are pretty, like, pretty accurate in that like everyone's like yeah these two are obviously going to be really good for a really long time some people really believe in their ceilings others don't I think there's more sinner buy-in honestly than golf but that's a conversation for a different time I just like I think Coco Golf is playing well I really do and I know the results aren't quite there right now but I think they're coming. And so I guess my one wish is for everyone to remain patient because I do think I test wise golf is playing better tennis than she did before. Thoughts? I think I think I would not wish for results for golf. I would wish for technical improvements. I would wish a better forehand for Coco Golf because I think okay. if she <laughs> ever shows up with the forehands that yeah. needs to be present, everything else will come. She will be nigh unbeatable, perhaps, you know, a better forehand and maybe a bit more of an aggressive mindset. Maybe those two things. You maybe don't want to put sure. it all necessarily on the forehand. But otherwise, what is there to say about Coco Goff that is negative? She has a phenomenal backhand, a great serve. She's an all-court player. She's a mentally tough competitor. She's one of the best athletes on tour. She's a great interview. She's a great ambassador. She is 
99% of everything. Like she is so close and all it would take is a slightly better forehand. And so that would be my wish for Coco Golf specifically. I, I don't think a top 10 win really means much in the grand scheme of things. Fair. I think I would rather see some long-term sustained change from her. Yeah, I'll also take any rivalry. Like, give me all the Iga Savalenka matches. Give me all the yes, Iga Rabakina sure. matches. Give me all the Rabakina Savalenka matches. Just give me those matches, as many of them as possible, through the remainder of the season. With that said, folks, that's your first half awards through this uh, in this 2023 WTA season. DK, did we miss anything? Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No, I mean at this point we might just keep going to Wimbledon. We could just do a, we could do a live recap of the rest of the season. Why We're stop so, now? That's episode eleven of Breakpoint, my friend. That's uh, yes. that's that's what we call full. That circle, was my one but... complaint about Breakpoint is that like they were so like confined by the twenty twenty two season cutoff. Is that like we have the benefit of hindsight? We know as yeah. we know Sabalenka wins the Australian Open, and yet they don't really even foreshadow it. I mean, like. Spoilers. You know, there's a second season coming. I mean, like it kind of cuts you all. It, it cut the narrative tension to be like, and she had this great surge to the end and then loses the final to Caroline Garcia, who's not interviewed and is not a member of the cast. So it was like a really rough way for it to end. But um, yeah, I hope also I, I hope for a better break point as well in season two. And speaking of which, this will be our break point for the podcast. But my final question to you, anything you got to plug, tennis.com, DKTNNS on Twitter, anything's coming we're, up? We're doing a lot of break point coverage. We're doing our our forward recaps because we don't want to call them straight right. recaps of what happened. I feel like we all have eyes and we all know what happened. And to recap things that happened a year ago is perhaps not that productive. So we were trying to you know, project outward. You know, What happened to Taylor Fritz after you know he lost his U.S. Open match to – mysterious journeyman Brandon Halt, who Netflix neglected to mention is the son of Tracy Austin. I thought that was like such a weird omission. Like they're like, uh-huh. this random American beats Taylor Fritz. I'm like, well, statistically, yes, but also there is a story there that t- you could make the loss less bad in context. It was like, that was another weird editorial choice. They just made no effort to, I guess maybe because Brandon Holt didn't sign the release, but they just didn't <laughs> want to even acknowledge the fact that he may have some Wait, uh are we sure that brandon didn't sign the release or tracy didn't sign the release maybe because they kept cutting back to like the fritz camp and you felt like it i mean they got to acknowledge that like tracy austin is in the stands right now yeah. right like someone's gonna say something That's nope hilarious. it was a total total omission in my culture they say dianu and yeah again we appreciate your thoughts on all things Breakpoint. We appreciate your coverage of all things in the tennis universe and look forward to reading it as always so david kane Hey, great shot to you, my friend. Appreciate you joining us, and I will see you tomorrow for our ATP award show. Hey, great shot. <laughs> Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with David Kane offering out our awards through the first half of the 2023 WTA season. A massive thank you, as always, to our dear friend DK for taking the time to chat. We look forward to having him back, not just tomorrow for the ATP award show, but throughout the course of this 2023 season, as he truly is one of my favorite guests to have on our Crack Rackets podcast. Of course, as I alluded to in the intro, this is not the only show we've got going on for all of you Crack Rackets fans right now. If you're looking for updates on everything happening in week two of the 2023 grass court season, the mini break podcast feed is for you. Interviews with players, coaches over on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. All of that content available wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A massive thank you for his efforts, uh, not just, of course, on the pod, 
pods, but our USTA SoCal broadcast, which of course we have every Saturday, Sunday. So if you're looking to watch some high-level action, we've got it for you available on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our guest, DK, our friends at Turna and Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.